RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Yes, hello and welcome back to episode 84 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Ben Pollard, Head of Strength and Conditioning with Stade Francais. Now I've known Ben for probably about 10 years now and kind of you've known someone that long you kind of forget how much experience they've got and, and it's pretty cool when he starts reading off uh, his CV, you know, working with Saracens, the trophies they've won there. He's been um, with England and World Cups, covering both sports science and SNC, and obviously now his role over in France. So, as you can imagine, there'll be tons of great information coming out of this chat. So, please give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Let's start by you telling us a bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning, and who you've worked with. Hi, Jamie. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, so I started my SNC career um, as a placement student with Bath University in New Zealand. Uh, worked there with Auckland Rugby Club and then Auckland Blues for six months, which was a brilliant experience. Came back, um, gained some more work experience with, uh, with the Cornish Pirates, and I was into my final year of, of university. With, with Bath University and uh, did a day a week with, uh, with Bath Rugby. Um, off the back of that, I was, I was lucky enough to land a job uh, through a series of New Zealand contacts actually with, um, with Saracens. Um, and I was lucky, lucky to get the job as, as I see it, but also it was, it, was, it was lucky timing. It was coming into a time when the, the club was in a period of transition Brendan Venter had just started uh, and it was a new kind of philosophy for the club back in 2009, I think it was. Um, so my role there was um, was mainly uh, lead Academy SNC uh, as, as well as some, some sports science. But over, over those years, I started to do some part-time sports science with uh, the England national team from around 2011 onwards. Then there was an opportunity for that to go full-time in uh, 2013 with England uh, and it was a it was a new role um, in that it was a it was the first time they had a full-time sports scientist so there was a chance to, to shape the role or the role be, be shaped uh, which was great and then I did that all, all the way up into 2016 when there was an opportunity to, to go back to Saracens uh, as uh, senior strength and, and, and conditioning coach. Um, so I spent another four years at, at Saracens there, uh, which was which was brilliant. Um, you know, like when I first joined, it, when I, when I came back, it was um, it was uh, the nice thing was how how similar and um, the strengths of the culture were still very much there, if not even improved. And then um, during my last uh, little period at, at Saracens, 
they allowed me to do some work with, with World Rugby and, and Uruguay. So before the 2019 World Cup, I helped out uh, with Uruguay in their preparation for, uh, for the World Cup alongside uh, Craig White, who I know has been on, been on your uh, podcast also, Jamie. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, um, just over a season ago, I, I came out to France, uh, which, is, which is now. So um, I'm now head of strength and conditioning at Stade Francais in, in Paris here. Um, we, we've just started our, um, our second season of, of top 14 just, just last weekend. Yeah, cool. And like tons of you know diverse different uh, environments have worked in. So it'd be, it'd be great kind of picking your brains and that. And, and while we're on that, um, you're, you're in France. There's a question I was going to ask later, but as we kind of got there to where you are in your career now, how, how have you found that kind of culture shift working over in France? Um, yeah, it's been it's been a good challenge. I think um, I think that word kind of culture is. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky. Uh, to be in around some some, some brilliant cultures uh, rugby wise, um, I guess namely Saracens, um, and that was mainly built on you know treating people or and the players, well players and staff to be fair, treating them unbelievably well, um, and in return um, the players uh, and staff working. Uh, unbelievably hard uh, in return um, and you know I really think that that mantra or that that philosophy works well um, and it's something that will stay stay with me um, similar in Uruguay there was a fantastic culture there where the the national team is it has a very tight feel. A lot of them have grown up together as, as childhood friends, uh, playing rugby together in, in the capital city there, and they're very tight. And it's got a, uh, a very family feel, and, and they work incredibly hard for each other. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, my um, I, I never wanted to lose sight of, of, of the bigger picture as a as an SNC. As a SNC coach, having experienced those those, those places, um, so yeah, France coming coming in, or you know, it's probably unfair to talk about France in general or Stade Francais. Um, I think the the club was coming from a difficult period in, in that they had finished 14th out of 14 the season before I arrived, and uh, obviously that's. Uh, not the not the happiest camp as as anywhere would be, uh, and 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 there are changes going on. So, and players to me it felt like players were a bit in in silo. So, it has been a big focus uh, of us as as a management team uh, of a newish management team to to really try and get the boys uh, to work together and work for, for each other. Um, which over last year we felt they improved and. This year we feel they've they've improved uh, a bit again, but yeah, that 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 culture um, of working hard for one for for one another is is so key. Um, and yeah, in, in in terms of the I guess the more general French culture, there um, there is a perception that they're they're less professional that they that they work. Um, they work less hard, perhaps, but on the whole, they're they're very skillful rugby players. They're on the whole, they're 
they're, they're good athletes. Um, you know, in some ways, I compare them a bit to the Kiwis, and that and actually, you know, good athletes and and, and good um, good skillful rugby players. Perhaps the perhaps the um, just the the systems and structures. By that, I mean maybe more the the management and the, the systems and clubs. To, um, from what other people have said to me as well, are just a bit behind maybe what where the UK and uh, um, other other places are. But I think that's catching up quickly, and you can see that with you know your, your La Rochelles and your Toulouse's going so well last year, and the French national team that. Know, when when you have got good players together and and you've got them working hard uh, or working on the right things, then um, then they can be bloody good rugby teams. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a good challenge for me. I've had to um, I've had to simplify things, you know, from the language and also f- from the point of view of getting the boys probably on a slightly um, more generic program than I would have done previously. Again, with that thought in mind of, of um, getting them working together a bit more and sharing um, sharing that experience of working hard together um, to, to create some tighter tighter links but it's been a good challenge and um, yeah I think it's something something we we need to continue yeah so it sounds awesome and I agree with you everything's underpinned by by working hard um, and and that's <clears throat> that's something you got to get right from the start. And and I understand, like you say, you've simplified things so, you, so they can, you know, can make things more competitive. And and in terms of getting the, the through the language barrier issue as well, um, definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of that, we've got talked about kind of culture and kind of the soft skills. And let's talk a bit more about the science. I know you did a lot of work about worst case scenarios. I was just pull a bit on your kind of you know your sports science background and and talk about what you've. Um, what you've worked on in terms of worst case scenarios and, and how to impact training through them. Yeah, so um, probably the biggest part of work I, I, I did on that was it was during my England um, role when I was when I was um, head of sports science and the, the, one of the big tasks was looking at uh, a detailed or getting a detailed um, understanding of the demands of the game. Uh, and also, I was often posed the question, "What's the difference between the international and the and and the club game?" So, um, you know, I, I remember being part of a project in 2010 or so, and it was looking at the difference between the international and the club game, and we we reported basic GPS measures, which. Um, for, for me, looking back now, is is not a not a fair a fair reflection of uh, of of the difference between the the two two games. And as as time went on, <clears throat> and uh, we looked at the the game more holistically, um, I think back then around 2013-14, what struck me was the the ball and play of the club game was around thirty three minutes. And the ball and play from the international game was around 38, 39 minutes. So when I was receiving the club data uh, for the for the international players, and I could see that you know players were um, having 10, 15% more distance, accelerations, high speed running, skill actions, involvements, etc. Um, that's that's of no surprise at all because you've got 10, 15% 
uh, more time to do it and that you've got um, six, seven minutes more ball in play to run around in, to make more collisions, um, to have more skill actions, etc. So um, it changed the way I, I, I looked at the, get, at the game a bit. And um, also around the similar period, we, uh, or even before, we started to look at uh, the, the ball and play GPS. So that by that, I mean, we would stop and start the, the GPS uh, for, for every time the ball went into play and out of play. And it was something that we built data on uh, for a while, probably from about 2012. Um, but it took a while to appreciate what it was showing us. And what started to show to me was when there were these longer and intense plays that backed up onto each other. So again, it's that, um, it was that periods of the game or um, those, those exposures to the players where the work to rest was, was, was extremely high. And that was when we were seeing, you know, players, players struggle, uh, players jogging when they should have been moving quicker um, or getting slower off the deck. Um, so what we were able to build was, okay, what does the toughest periods look like in terms of work to rest? But also from the GPS, we were able to know, okay, what does the hardest one, two, three, four minutes look like? And, uh, because, and that was all ball and play data because we had plays um, around around four minutes. But also then that extrapolated down to five, six, uh, 10, 12 minutes as well. Um, so we, we, we knew what the hardest work to rest, uh, or we know what the hardest work to rest looks like um, in games. We also know what uh, that looks like from a uh, from a movement and and collision perspective also, um, and so once you once you can marry the, the two, um, you know then in certain sessions and in certain drills, uh, you want to make sure that you're exposing uh, the players to that. So for one that they're prepared for the game, but also two to get the the training stimulus. You know, everyone's training stimulus can't be. Um, forever in the day in terms of duration. So you want to be efficient. So to get that conditioning stimulus from rugby scenarios. Um, so not, not only you're getting the physical benefits or stimulus, but you're also getting the tactical and technical. Um, you can you can judge if you're if you're training above the speed of the game. Um, if you have that that work those work to rest targets and those and, and those GPS targets uh, from from match data. Um, yeah, so that's 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 um, that's where that's where we're at on that, and I feel I feel we uh, we were able to do a good job of assessing if we're if we're training at the speed of the game um, at the moment. Yeah, because that that was going to be uh, my kind of next question was, um, did you then once you worked out what the kind of work case scenarios or the, or the work to rest ratio were, did you then go and, and kind of create drills, or did you? find a way to manipulate the, the rugby sessions to get, get those out? Or was it a bit of both? Um, a, bit, a bit of both. I think, um, you know, we're probably, um, you know, working with Eddie Jones um, in 2015-16, that, um, that was a really good exposure for me in terms of a coach really having a great grasp of how he can marry the physical, technical and tactical. 
Um, and so he was able to, um, uh, he, he would design his drills uh, very well to, to get the, to, to get the physical stimulus that, that, that we wanted or, and that he wanted. Um, but I find, you know, what a lot of teams might do is, is, is maybe go after GPS um, first, whereas a bit more, um, my suggestion would, would, would be to make sure uh, you're training at the correct work to rest first, um, because without that ball and play or without you know, that work to rest, um, you're going to struggle to, to hit um, those GPS numbers. So, um, yeah, it's key that it, firstly, having the players train at 100% intent is, is, is by far and away the biggest, um, biggest priority. Then having the correct work to rest. <clears throat> um, and then, yeah, thirdly, then uh, looking to hit those GPS numbers. More than likely, if you have those first two, the GPS will look after itself. However, if you want a, um, you know, uh, a priority to say high speed running, how are you going to manipulate that um, within the drill? Are you going to just play two phases uh, before there must be a kick? Or are you going to enforce line breaks by, um, you know, by rolling a ball, you know, 30 meters through the line um, and, and going from there? Um, I remember, you know, there was a drill. Uh, this was five years ago now, you know, uh, we wanted to train as the, uh, as the, as the, as the hardest minute. Um, and because we had the GPS all linked up to um, the, the video, we could see what the, the five toughest minutes was of, of international rugby. And the, the similarity there was a team would never play more than two phases before they, before they kicked. Uh, so that was that, that was that, um, Eddie would, Eddie simply took that into, uh, into his head and then made the drill. Um, I think he called it mad minute. And that was, that was the rules for the players that you couldn't play more than two phases before you kicked. Um, and it was only 60 seconds long. Uh, but because we were marrying the toughest, um, the toughest minute of a game, uh, to training, uh, the players found it bloody tough. Um, especially when it's mixed in, mixed into a high intensity session, perhaps with contact conditioning before, or, you know, um, a breakdown drill straight after, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's just examples of, of where you can, um, maybe manipulate, uh, a rule could be just one rule or, or, or two to get extra stress. Uh, but like I said, the first, first two things, which I think sometimes teams can overlook is for one players training with hundred percent intent and for two, um, getting that work to rest right. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I've seen with, um, in terms of get, getting that intent, if the kind of players are used to like, you know, very long sessions, they kind of pace themselves. <laughs> Whereas if you've communicated, you know, it's going to be this, this duration. So in that example, a minute, and we need that intensity up there and it's not, you know, not going to be flogging. It's, it's all comes down to communication. I guess what I'm trying to say. So they know that they can actually empty the tank on that, that minute and they'll have time to recover. Yeah, exactly. It comes back to um, training like you play and playing playing like you train. You know, it's when you um, if we can get players to to be at that hundred percent in in training, 
the transfer that we get um, to to playing is, is so much more, um, you know, from a lot of perspective, especially conditioning. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's, it's the, the, the such little transfer you'll get if you're if you're jogging after a kick, for example, or if you're you're eighty percent going towards a towards a ruck um, versus a game where everything has to be one hundred percent, and you know that half a meter to a ruck, especially these days now, is is so important. Um, we've got to we've got to train like we play uh, in certain sessions. Yeah, and a lot of the the rugby players we work with are amateurs who don't have access to. Know, GPS um, feedback and things. So, but how can they use um, you know some of the science behind the GPS stuff to to improve their training? I think um, I think probably from a from an individual perspective, um, it's not something I'd um, it's not something I'd, I'd stress about too much, but. Probably the the best use of it might be around uh, rehab. So if you're if you're coming back from an injury, it's just making sure that you are capable of, um, you know, perhaps be able to do the do the running or do the metrics of twenty minutes of a game, half a game, and then you know sixty minutes plus of of, of a game to make sure that you know you, you have confidence and the and uh, your body's capable and. Has the capacity to to do that uh, prior to um, doing a high intensity training session or or prior to um, to playing a game. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, with the kind of studies that are out there, uh, uh, and also the descriptive studies that are out there in terms of what certain positions uh, have to do at certain times of the game, I think that's that's where I'd use it as a. I think that's the biggest use. Uh, for me as a um, from an individual perspective um, uh, and yeah um, other than that like I said like individual or positional uh, requirements perhaps you know the amount of sprints a back three might have to do in a, in a certain period of time um, for uh, from a conditioning perspective is, is important but um, for me the main the main big use of, of GPS is actually looking at your, your, your team's performance uh, in, in training and in game <clears throat> and uh, also comparing or, you know, giving feedback to, to players if they are uh, doing the right, um, doing the right things in training, if they're, if they're, if their movements, uh, if their movements good and it, and that, and, and those metrics are linking to performance, for example, accelerations uh then that's where i see the main use of gps cool no good advice sir now this question we ask all the guests on the podcast and it's what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning um i think maybe a, a couple of things um and you know maybe it's not just rugby players um maybe it's maybe it's is everyone in terms of just laying good foundations of of technique prior to prior to loading the gym so nailing good technique um with um you know with perfect form uh and and adding load gradually uh rather than trying to go too heavy too quick average technique 
um, pick up an injury or, you know, you're stuck with that technique then for the rest of the season uh, rather than just taking those extra few weeks just to uh, get that good foundation. The other one would be from maybe a bit more of a conditioning perspective um, where, where I see in a, a, a range of a range of levels, to be fair. And sometimes players will do conditioning um, and, and they'll perhaps hold back in the first few reps or the first few sets. And again, a bit like we spoke about in terms of the rugby training, whether that's 50 on 15, it's exactly the same in an individual or small group conditioning session. To get maximum transfer to the game, those first few efforts in your conditioning session have to be 100%. Um, because just like your ball carry, um, it will be 100% and you're not worrying about the, the 12th, 13th, 14th ball carry. Um, so... I always say to players, I'd, I'd rather see maximal at the start and a, and a slight drop off towards towards the end, rather than maintaining the same speed on a, on a bike session or on a running session or whatever it is, um, because that's 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 how um, that's how you play the game. So to get maximum transfer, always go that hundred percent from the start in a conditioning session because um, that will help you rugby the most. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you've obviously got a you know really good grasp of the science, but it's all underpinned by getting that that intensity and and working hard. So it's um that's great advice. Um, now let's talk about uh, speed and agility. Um, now how would you again thinking more about an amateur player? How would how would you advise them to kind of get in their speed and agility training around you know a, a busy week and and sort of limited training time? Yeah, I think. Um... <clears throat> similar for um, pro level two in terms of you're not going to have a huge amount of time available uh, for, for speed training. Um, so you know, to, 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 in general, to be fast, uh, you want to be fresh. So for one, I guess that comes uh, back to making sure you're, you're doing recovery so that, you know, um, after your day off, you are in a place where, where you can do it. So we'll typically look to try and get a, a speed stimulus, uh, perhaps if we've had an eight-day turnaround. Um, on, uh, if they've played on a Friday, they've had two days off, um, that the backs especially might do some speed on, on that Monday morning. Um, you know, throughout um, pre-season, again, we might just do a we'll do an extended warm up and then a short uh, 15 to 20 minute uh, speed uh, prior to prior to a rugby session um, and one thing that we try and be consistent with all year round week to week is to do some form of um, maximal intent uh, horizontal work so whether that's um, heavy-ish prowlers or um, mid-weight sleds or, or lighter sleds um, at the end of every lower body session we'll do um, we'll do uh, a form of horizontal work uh, which is which is again um, a chance for a speed stimulus uh, and again time efficient um, <clears throat> you know other 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 times you know obviously if you're <clears throat> if you haven't played as much 
perhaps you're going to substitute uh, over the weekend again that that first day is a is a, and per, perhaps if you've done a lighter session on your monday um and you're already 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 warm at the end then there's a, there's a good chance to do um to do some speed uh, you know perhaps the the players that have played 70 80 minutes they've, they've done a light afternoon session or rugby session that afternoon um you know if if your conditioning is in a good place uh, and your speed's your priority, then that, that's, a, that's an excellent opportunity to, um, to fit in that speed stimulus too. So it's all, all about taking the opportunities um, to, to run, run fast when, when, when you're fresh, um, as, as well as the, the, the stimulus from the, from the horizontal work. No, good advice. And that's, that's often the, the mistake we see is, you know, uh, players trying to get it anywhere and probably picking the wrong the wrong opportunity to do it. So it's, it's good you highlighted that. Uh, now, let's, let's, you know, you mentioned the horizontal work in the gym, so stay in the gym. Uh, how do you uh, assess a player's needs in terms of, you know, kind of strength diagnosis? How do you how do you say when they're strong enough or what they need to focus on, whether it's strength, power? Um, I think, well, I always... Uh, try and do is sit down early with the rugby coaches and try and get their their top two rugby work-ons. So if we're starting from there, because at the end of the day, our, our job is to make them better, better rugby players, um, then of course we will get a profile of, of, these, uh, of these players physically. But perhaps um, those physical uh, priorities might change depending on the depending on the rugby work ons um so yeah it's, it's all it's all very well saying um okay this player must get must get stronger must get bigger because that's how, how how we see them but if the if, if the rugby coach is saying well um actually we need him you know we, we need him quicker we need him more agile um maybe that's maybe we need to tweak our program a bit more towards that side so always start with the 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 with with the rugby work-ons in, in in the in the back of your head um and then yeah we don't test um per se in terms of in, in terms of lower body strength uh we'll work through phases um through through the gym and uh from the, the gym they're doing week to week uh, we'll estimate their their one RM, and on the bottom of their program, they'll have their kind of uh, their guide uh, slash estimates of their one RM. So they'll know if they're lifting around about um, their max, whether it's a one, two, three, four, four, five um, rep lift. Um, so so we know if they're there thereabouts there. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get a picture of of, of someone's strength more from training in terms of that training is testing testing training um especially lower body wise um and yes there's kind of standards or targets um probably more so in my head or i might use it to educate players uh, if, I, if i feel they they, they need more motivation or, or a target in, in, in terms of where they need to get to strength wise but Equally, we can see how a player uh, is playing, and we can see how um, what a player's priority is. So, 
don't make it the the be, be all and end all. And I think um, sometimes, as you know, Jamie, you might only have a player for for a short period, maybe a, a one year uh, or two year contract. So we're just trying to make sure that they're improving in the key physical parameters that's going to make them a better rugby player. Um, power wise, we, we will. Um, again, get scores from from the gym aware typically with um, uh, the um, uh, squat jumps and also explosive explosive squats, um, and we make them competitive about that uh, with, a, with a big table up on the gym um, with different weight categories. Um, so again, um, players will know where they're at. We'll know where they're at and. Some players will shift more quickly towards the towards the power and speed if they, if they if they have a good strength basis. Other players, if they need um, to continue on their strength work due to their rugby priority or and or due to their um, physical priority, then we'll keep them lifting heavier for for longer through, through the phases uh, and have a have a, um, a more emphasis on that. Yeah, yeah, all makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so, next question: When we uh, we ask everyone again, it's uh, what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? I think um, I think definitely where I've learned the most is uh, visiting other places. Um, I think again, I was I was lucky when I was younger to to be exposed to a fair few environments. Um, you know, within the first few years, Auckland to Auckland Blues to, to Pirates to Bath um, to Saracens as well as a, as, a, as, a, as a few others. So, you know, especially um, as, you, as you're kind of uh, building your philosophy, it's just to experience as many different environments as possible. You know, again, I was lucky with the England role that I was actually able to go and visit the clubs, you know, for relationship purposes, for player purposes, etc. But I would always pick up something from from those um, from those club environments, however big or small it was. Um, so yeah, that would be my biggest advice to young SNC coaches: is just try and get uh, into into environments for, for a day, couple of days. You know, I, I, ideally, the longer the better. But um, it's, it's it's easy to try and judge um, you know an environment by by numbers or um, just something you've heard until until you've seen how the the day works and you know perhaps it's the flow of the warm up or um, you know the, the 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 pitch session intensity until you see it with the, your your own eyes or you know especially the relationship side and until you see that with your own eyes. Um, and and think about that and 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 get some learning on that it's 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 very very different to to, to reading anything so yeah 100 expose yourself to as many environments as possible and you know if you're aspiring rugby snc it doesn't have to just be rugby it could be <clears throat> it could be football it could be hockey for example um that they're all doing good stuff so i think that's that's something that i felt definitely helped me um uh not just early on in my, my career, but throughout my career and 
I try and I'll, I will try uh, and do try and do that as much as possible. Obviously, in the last couple of years, it's it has had to be a lot of Zoom calls. But um, yeah, uh, what you can pick up from other other, other environments is um, is for me the best way to learn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are there any books or resources you recommend to upcoming strength coaches? Um, uh, only your podcast, Jamie. Obviously. <laughs> done <laughs> um no i think it that might come to come down to individuals how you know and how you put it into your day learning i think everyone's everyone's busy these days so yeah for me I, i've got a nice cycle to work here so it's, it's easy for me to put on a podcast and that that can be um you know my little bit of learning in a day um whereas for others it might be um you know a, a, say a little train journey or whatever, or it might be their way to switch off to, to read something at night. So I think whatever, whatever um, way works for yourself. Um, for me, I enjoy podcasts. I enjoy um, listening to audiobooks too. Um, you know, around experienced coaches. Um, um, I, I, I listened to Joe Smith recently, which is, which was brilliant I thought he, he talks about his journey but also um a lot of it's about his philosophy that was shaped by his journey um so you know pe people like that to, to to listen to experienced coaches who have been around rugby um understand the bigger picture of rugby um for me there's there's, there's big learning um <clears throat> with any opportunities there yeah that's cool cool tip there um so and what's the the future of you? Have you are you still working with Uruguay? Obviously, you've got the season to just start the season. Several say, well, are you still got involvement with Uruguay moving forward? Um, yeah, I do from from a distance. Yeah, um, uh, that like I said at the start, they're they're a great bunch, passionate bunch, um, and, and you know, brilliant people. Um, so yeah, they're pushing for World Cup qualification at the moment. Um, obviously, any travel there has been difficult at the moment with. With what's going on um but yeah they're they're pushing for world cup qualification at the moment um and um yeah staff won't say wise we're um yeah we just managed to sneak into top six last year so um yeah we'll, we'll see how we go we'll see how we go this year um there's there's plenty to to work on but um you know it's um it's, it's a good challenge in, in, in France from, for, for a number of reasons and um, the squad's got, got the potential. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, just focusing on, on that, really. Yeah, cool. I'll be looking forward to seeing how you guys get on. And lastly, Ben, where can people learn more about you? Um, they really want to, uh, they can probably best is just to, to, just to drop me an email, uh, benpollardfitness at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, happy happy to um, to chat via email or um, yeah or, or Zoom if that progresses. Cool, awesome. Thanks, for that, Ben. And of course, we'll share that in the show notes. Ben, thanks for sharing your time with us. Uh, been great catching up. And uh, yeah, all the best for the season. You too, Jamie. Good luck for yours.
Cheers. So there you go. Another great podcast. Thank you, Ben, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, tons of great information, especially like talking about worst case scenarios, and especially if Ben's done you know research on this and while working with, with England and Saracens. Um, it's, it's really cool to think about how we can uh, adapt our training to, to you know prepare rugby players to, to capitalise during those worst case scenarios in, in games. Um, and also just to you know hear about the culture over in France and how he's getting on. Uh, so thanks for that Ben all the best for the season with Stade Francais uh, in the meantime guys please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn Spotify or whatever you um, use for podcasts and of course give us a 5 star review uh, and keep checking us out at RugbyRenegade.com until next time Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.